1: Welcome to the New Health Club podcast. Our now has changed forever. The New Health Club is where the conversation around the new era of mental health, mental wellness and this now, the new now begins. I think that psychedelics will play a big part in this. We are talking about a completely new lifestyle here. So what are LSD, magic mushrooms, psilocybin and MDMA or ketamine exactly doing for our mental health, personal progress and optimization? Will they change our lifestyles forever? Will they be a big part of this new normal? On the New Health Club podcast, I talk to real innovators, thought leaders and disruptors from the emerging new world of psychedelics, mental health and mental wellness. Please enjoy. This podcast deals with drugs. Drugs are dangerous. Furthermore, the use and or trade of drugs can be punishable by law. Please keep this in mind. This podcast is not suitable for people under the age of 18. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club podcast. Today I talk to Florian Brandt. Are you ready for a little biotech today? I am, because I think we need to cool down a little. So Florian today is a perfect guest to talk about cool biotech stuff. (laughs) And Florian Brandt, his last name, he's the co-founder and CEO of Atai Life Science. Atai is, as their mission statement says, committed to acquiring and efficiently developing innovative treatments that address significant unmet medical needs And lead to paradigm shifts in the mental health space. To make it short, Atai is a really interesting company on the forefront to healing mental health disorders. And you could say they are the first, one of the first superstar companies to speak in Hollywood language that just emerged in the psychedelic field um, a couple of years ago already, of course. Also, like in so many other cases of founders in the psychedelic field, Florian has experienced a psychedelic treatment and has interesting experiences with that. And um, that actually brought him to be the founder and the co-founder of ATAI, which he co-founded with Christian Angemeyer and Lars Wilde. So you could say he became a believer in the new compounds. There's a lot to talk about and um, I think Florian will be back on a new episode since we have to exchange our psychedelic stories. But today, Florian is on the podcast to talk about Atai and their future tools in terms of mental health. Enjoy. So we're excited to have Florian Brandt on the podcast today, the co-founder and CEO of Atai Life Science. And uh, Florian, maybe like always, our guess maybe you introduce yourself first. What is your exact way of working and what is your company like? What, what are they doing? Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and first of all, thanks for
2: having me, um, Ben. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think we, we saw already some people that are, also involved with a, a tie on yeah, your podcast, so probably. to be here as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, full disclosure, I'm not an MD, PhD, so uh, whenever it gets very detailed on the science side, I would probably defer to our scientific team, um, I started the company um, due to a very personal or multiple personal reasons, mm-hmm. so I myself suffered from anxiety disorder, so that was basically when I was... Uh, yeah, in my teenage years and I got um, uh, for me the regular therapy worked very well, so psych- psychotherapy so I found a great therapist um, that uh, worked with me um, on, on on the anxiety um, on my anxiety and also ha- helped to in- integrate um, some habits into my life that really helped me such as uh, mindfulness meditation um, and then um, then uh, Basically, after university, it was fine. Everything was, or after school, after I graduated from school, it was fine again. I could go on and study. And then uh, met Lars, um, mm-hmm. who was, was also on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started building a company in a completely different field. Um, and, and then he shared, I think, his personal story.
1: Yeah, And that's did, where yeah.
2: uh, I witnessed the first time how um, the system or, or the healthcare, mental health care system, if you want, uh, failed a person that was in desperate need of help, but basically where it was very evident that what was available, psychotherapy and all the pharmaceutical tools, didn't do the job that they were supposed to do. Um, and basically uh, saw then one, um, once uh, Lars had his um, psychedelic experience and this healing experience, how powerful this is, uh, basically, uh, yeah, how it positively impacted him,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then um, once um, my um, uh, my my wife had also a very difficult time after we lost my my mother in law to cancer, and admittingly also for me it was it was a very traumatic, uh, trauma, traumatizing experience. Lars was actually the one that who uh, who yeah guided us also to the healing potential of psychedelic medicine. Mm-hmm. So he. Um, he facilitated a therapeutic session. um, And that was really, uh, so, and my wife had a similar experience like Lars had. So for her, it was also this experience that was then the tool that enabled her to work um, on on what she has experienced. Um, And that's an experience that we luckily, and we're grateful for this shared together.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, So, um, and that was really then also the moment when, uh, basically the trigger f- for me to also get involved in the space, in the mental health space more broadly, and exploring what is out there in terms of innovation that is worthwhile uh, bringing back, because psychedelics were already once mm-hmm. in, in, in the medical practice uh, in the 60s, partly, but also what's out there in terms of innovation more broadly, um, not necessarily psychedelic, um, but also other other uh, therapeutics that that can really make a difference from patients that suffer from a uh, large
1: unmet medical need. I mean, do you think in the meantime, I'm under the impression that people who are really, I mean, founders who are really passionate about this, they all had kind of a personal experience with it. I mean, because right now you could think, well, I'm just jumping on this because it's like the hot shit or something. But I mean, I feel that people um, who really are the most interesting, or to me, the most interesting founders, they all had at one point in their life, a moment where they just, I mean, for example, a psilocybin treatment, like for example, Lars talked about or Christian, um, that really kind of changed their lives kind of. Do you think that's kind of something that is I'm not going to seem necessary for a founder, but it certainly has a really big impact on your passion if it comes to the, to the topic of psychedelics?
2: um yeah I, I agree with the way that you describe it I guess it's not necessary but it enables you um, it enables you to I guess see the potential it can have for 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 uh, patients that suffer from from mental health orders. Um, so that's that I, that definitely helps in my perspective and I think great companies have been built by people who really, had a strong purpose. Uh, so that, that really could answer the why question well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think if you've uh, actually experienced this healing, ex- uh, if you actually have this healing experience, either yourself or witnessed close relatives, loved ones in your family where it could actually help. It definitely, uh, yeah, it, it re- re- reinforces um, this, this purpose and this conviction that there's something that has potential. Mm-hmm. Um and now we have to basically demonstrate in rigorous clinical trial that also scientifically it really works. Um but it has so much potential and has anecdotally at least gave so much healing already that of course this is, is a, a huge driver for many people. I think at least it was also the reason why why I got involved when I see the saw the potential.
1: Mm-hmm. Of those and I mean let's talk a little bit about um a tie. It's like a um, glamorous wild platform, <laughs> I feel. to me (laughs) i said um we we can cut this out i said let's talk a little bit about a tie the company um it it seems like a very kind of like a wild interesting platform for treatments that are not kind of that, that show a very big potential like psychedelics but i mean um sorry just have to check on this yeah um but also um with other, like you also explore other kind of substances that are not kind of, let's say, researched yet, but they show that also show like a really big right. potential. So I mean, I, I find this, I find tie interesting as a as a platform, and it doesn't come across like a very kind of, let's say, kind of narrow-minded, only one pathway thing or company so maybe you explain a little bit about the the structure of a tie because i feel it's very it's a very modern structure to me a very appealing modern structure
2: um as we discussed earlier the the very personal experience i had with what this system the healthcare system is able to provide currently for mental health uh, patients and um what they actually need so this gap really was the, the motivator or driver uh, behind getting involved and is ultimately also the, the vision of a tie right so to ultimate ultimate having seen the suffering from um, my loved ones friends and family members um, putting an end to the suffering so putting an end to end to or healing mental health disorders um was really the driver to get involved in this, the, the ultimate vision vision of the tie um, and we currently basically start uh I mean, we, we can also talk about the broader vision, where are we in 5 to 10 years, but currently we are focused on really addiction, depression, and anxiety, so really to develop um, acute and rapid-acting treatments, which are often not available yet, and that are very efficacious and, and safe. Okay. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, the ultimate vision 5 to 10 years, we can't talk about this, but very concretely how we translate the vision healing mental health disorders into kind of concrete actions right now is that we're focusing on anxiety depression and addiction as key indications and develop acute and rapid acting treatments that often have a curative potential so that's very important to us that they're not only treating symptoms but ultimately potentially can can have a lot very long lasting effect if not curative effect for patients and thus really making a difference making a truly leap forward for patients Um, And currently, we're really focused on R&D and on developing those compounds through clinical trials, usually uh, until proof of concept where we show that they're safe and efficacious. Um, And that's basically what we are really focused on right now. How we do that is um, basically following a platform approach, approach of decentralized drug development, where we pool all the knowledge that we have um, gathered over the last um, years uh, in the space, how to basically develop stigmatized compounds um, for, for mental health indications, so via how to deal with regulatory agencies and so forth on one platform so that not everyone, every time a company starts the drug development process has to reinvent the wheel, the wheel. So that's, um, that's key. So basically sharing operational expertise, scientific expertise and regulatory expertise to make the whole process more efficient and effective. Yeah. Um, and I think we have a focus on psychedelics uh, as we follow the evidence and they just proved to be very um, uh, to prove have a, have a great potential um, for these indications. So, But we also have non-psychedelic substances in development and actually exploring how relevant the psychedelic effect itself is for so-called psychedelics. Um, to have a healing effect for patients. So, no, we're not a psychedelics company, but a mental health
1: company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, obviously right now, like, um, there's kind of a momentum, a different momentum even than, like, before the Corona hit everybody or the so-called crisis, And I mean, I I feel that the discussion about um, decriminalization or even legalization is kind of heating up because some people think that legalization could be um, a possible tool for curing everybody's PTSD after the whole world is basically in shock. Um, And as great as it sounds, (laughs) it's also like a really... dangerous thing probably for the whole development that it's based on very strict scientific proof and I mean even I as a journalist I often ex-journalist maybe know that um, the moment there's a study everybody's like oh yeah it's probably true but the moment if you say like wow it's such a great tool it's like yeah but you just you just had a good trip so and I mean I think Atai is like, especially in this kind of moment of probably kind of working on the speed, how to proceed with this kind of, you know, new need probably that's going to come out of this. And at the same time, you have to be really careful not to ruin everything anymore, like uh, Timothy Leary did, or like people in that time kind of just were thinking of just uh, going on a dose every day and just, you know, just going through life with that. So... How is your take on, on this kind of not-so-easy topic to discuss, actually, at the moment, I think?
2: Um, to the,
1: the easy topic to discuss, uh, you, you mean legalization? Yeah, well, or, I mean, or, the, or, the the thing is that, but how, I mean, obviously, like, you you guys are just, you, you're working in a very medical field. And I mean... Right even if that will kind of come forward and there will be medication, then it will be in the context of a um, psychiatrist or like a therapist who will actually prescribe these medications to you. Or you can go, I mean like at the moment, like you can go to a legal retreat in in Amsterdam with synthesis. So, but I mean a lot of people actually think right now maybe, Oh, maybe you should just uh, legalize all of this to make it faster available for everybody. But that's probably for you, that's a very difficult, uh, not difficult, but it's an interesting situation to be in because what you're doing is basically making it available for a lot of people out there who are really needed, basically.
2: Right. Um, No, absolutely. So to to your point, um, I mean, we're, um, and I think there are good reasons why uh, there are regulatory hurdles to to overcome. Um, so we, I think it's it's worthwhile mentioning that we're still early when it comes to research on, on, the, on the on the potential of these compounds. Um, so for which patient populations, which subgroup, um, and, and which indications they are they are very very much suited, and they appear based on what we see uh, to be safe. But they again we're very very early, and by they I mean now basically or. Specifically, psilocybin, when you look at the John Hopkins study, for instance. So, mm-hmm. um, however, in so I think it's you can't emphasize it in, enough that you sh- we have to really demonstrate that they are safe for the larger population before we go go out and, and scale it, and and that's also something that we are looking at. I don't believe that um, every compound or or, or or medication is or psychedelic is. Is right for everybody. Um, as depression is very heterogeneous. So if you know one patient that has depression, you know one patient that has depression, right? So it's very, it's very heterogeneous. Um, and I believe that also here, psilocybin won't be the compound that works for everyone. Like ketamine is not the compound that will work mm-hmm. for everyone. So basically, yeah. figuring out what's the best, um, what's the best treatment, and we have, I think, also emphasizing that. it's always in my belief important that we have a psychedelic assisted psychotherapy um it, it's not the compound it's not a panacea that you mm-hmm. just give to everyone and then everyone is happy and healed mm-hmm. i do believe it's a great tool uh, but it needs the work of the therapist and also the patient to um yeah to work on, on on mental health issues i mean to work on like i think you also shared i think on your linkedin um, linkedin page uh, the podcast that Tim Ferris had with Gabo Mate.
1: Yeah, that was um, very interesting. interesting great.
2: Yeah. Also, it yeah. enables you to to access this trauma, maybe a childhood trauma. So, Gabo Mate believes that the root cause for at least addiction, right? So, we mm-hmm. focus on anxiety, addiction, depression. Mm-hmm. We now talk about addiction, but for addiction, it's really the, the trauma that is the root cause, and especially addiction is a response to emotional pain, right? And that you're numbing. So. If we have a tool like, let's say, now in, that we're also developing for addiction, um, that you can that can be then helping you to to work on this trauma or lack of meaning, however you want to call it. And then that's one theory. There, I, I guess, multiple others why people are addicted, but that is really helping the patient to work on this. I think that's important. But at the same time, have to realize it's not a panacea. There's a lot of still to be understood clinical trials to be done before we mm-hmm. can say, yes, this works. And I think a great example is also the Netherlands, um, where it is available um, since since a longer time already. But if you look at depression rates, for instance, they're not significantly lower than in Germany or in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so just having it available um, is, I think, a little bit too simple, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit too... Um, mm-hmm short-sighted because you need a certain infrastructure to be built out you need the therapist to be trained because those compounds are very powerful they need to be given the right set and setting and i think that's mm-hmm. something that you discussed the link also yeah. with other people on your podcast no i mean i also so, i also yeah.
1: experienced it i mean that i mean i just after doing i mean i did an lsd uh, treatment with the therapist and then psilocybin and i mean I cannot imagine for one second to be anywhere in like a club or like a place with like 20 people who I never met. It's like impossible for me to imagine actually. Right. So, I, so think.
2: I, think, I think there's a lot of education still needed for us as a society mm-hmm. in order um, to yeah responsibly use those substances. And we truly believe that... Um, in order, I think you mentioned Timothy Leary, not to have this second Timothy Leary moment, we really have to make this accessible for the people that need it the most. In the case of depression, there's even the treatment-resistant depressed people that need it potentially more, that they don't have any option uh, right now. So really deliver the care through a medical system and then prove it's safe, it's it's efficacious um, before actually um, rolling these um, uh, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapies Out to patients, Um, and then yeah, once we've demonstrated this, uh, we can we can uh, we can certainly discuss Mm -hmm. more options. But for me, it's essential that you really uh, we 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 emphasize the safety aspect and the the infrastructure that is needed Mm -hmm. to deliver this this um, therapy in a safe and responsible
1: way. But I mean, still the idea that let's say after this, the main thing is over, the main crisis and people will be super happy probably, first of all, but I mean, there are already people coming or therapists or psychiatrists coming forward saying, okay, but still like to make it very short, like the whole world will probably experience PTSD after this because it's a shock for so many people on so many levels. So. Mm -hmm. And if you think that through, of course, like the need for the treatment will be actually needed way faster than even, I mean, before there was already this big number of of people who are depressed, like over 300 million, but now this is like such a new situation. So do you think this will actually um, also affect... Um, like and this new market that's just obviously kind of building around psychedelics i feel in the last three weeks even more i feel like there's so more like way more like instagram posts where i see like oh there's a new media company that's building around it there's a new another startup researching lsd so what is your um your impression or your outlook
2: yeah you know, I think, I mean, one one of our investors uh, from the Valley actually said it, it feels a little bit like the internet uh, 30 <laughs> years ago. Um, so we're in the early days of a, of a very nascent industry. Um, and I do think we're not that far away uh, actually having at least MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD, as you mentioned, PTSD mm-hmm. uh, available. I think there is, there is already now the, the, the potential to for patients to access this treatment via the expanded access program, uh, from maps. So they're doing a great job, um, actually developing those therapies for, for PTSD. Um, and then, um, so I guess here we can talk three years ish, uh, if I'm correctly informed and then compass with slow Simon
0: mm-hmm.
2: is then 45 four years away. But again, I think, um, I'm rather on the on the more cautious side. Let's do the, the clinical trials, um, and we will certainly, I think, wherever it's responsible, um, do our best to get those treatments out as, as fast as possible. In a again, in a responsible, safe manner, and and there is Yeah, I th- I, in my perspective, it's, it's the more prudent or, or the, the the best way to be prudent here. Um, again. There's also something called and discussed in the scientific literature uh, that is called uh, psychedelic trauma. So they can be, if not given in the right set and setting and set up, they can, it can be a traumatizing experience. Um, uh, and thus, uh, yeah, I, I do believe we need to be very careful when, when developing these, these mm-hmm. compounds as mm-hmm. they're, because they're so powerful.
1: And I mean, uh, we also wanted to talk about like the new langu- language language. Language around psychedelics, um, in a way that, uh, like I mean, you said earlier, we talked earlier that I mean, it obviously is coming now or moving now towards a, I mean, you could even say mainstream. They're like, I mean, there's the goop show with um, the psilocybin treatment what? that you can watch on Netflix now. How somebody goes what? on a psychedelic, which is, I mean, like a year ago, it was like impossible to think about this. And then there's Isla Waldman's book, um, which is basically, and she says, we had her on a podcast, she says she's totally coming from a mainstream background. She was never interested in Silicon Valley um, kind of a, um, what is it, Burning Man experience (laughs) or something. So it just kind of simply prevented her from killing herself, and she's very open about this. And I mean, so, and of course there are more articles coming and it's like, um, even Refinery 29 has articles about it, which is like a millennial female kind of a fashion Mm -hmm. portal. So, I mean, um, how how do you think, what do you think about like, how, how should one communicate this or talk about it? Because like, I mean, it's almost a connection to our subject earlier that if it's too kind of, let's say, um, Kind of easy to talk about, and like, well, I just went on a trip and it was so cool in the desert of California. I mean, it sounds so cool, but it's also at the same time difficult to talk about it that way. At the same time, if you only have a very scientific approach to it, then uh, a lot of people will just not read about it and say, well, this is too complicated for me. It's like, mm, I'm not a scientist, I really don't understand what they're saying. So, um, what do you think is a good way to talk about it? Um, that let's say a lot of people understand it, which I'm interested in too, by the way, <laughs> what do you think about it?
2: Um, so, uh, I mean, the way that we try to approach this is, and is, um, I would say in a scientific first approach, mm-hmm. I would say, um, And I do think there is also a different audience, um, on some of these, these, uh, media platforms. Um, or I would say, yeah, a different audience than, um, than maybe you would find. So maybe let me, let me rephrase. So I, I do think a deeply depressed person or that someone who has severe OCD, anxiety, depression, um, is not in, in my perspective, and after also com- having ha- had conversations with, with some of my uh, friends and family members, they they won't be open to um, to watch a group and then saying, "Oh wow, now I'm doing the same" because they're really in the, they're really ill, right? So they they are yeah. It, it, it will. That's why. That's why I believe we have to be um, a little bit cautious. Uh, of, of how we approach this topic, I think in general it's good that we destigmatize these compounds um, and talk about that everything that the government, is, especially in the US, has 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 mm-hmm. talked about in the seventies that uh, kind of LSD, uh, well, like everything that LSD and the like does to you, um, as a response to the so-called hippie movement, right, back in the days, is not based on facts, but in fact that this looks different, and I think the the um, the Netflix also Netflix episode uh, explained the explained episode. I think they did it in a very responsible way. I think it was about neuroscience. Mm-hmm. They looked at the brain, and then they also looked at psychedelics and how it affects the brain, why it can be a therapeutic, uh, or why it has therapeutic potential. So I think there are formats. And in Germany, I don't know if you saw the Arta, <laughs> the Arta. Yeah. Uh, 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 um, I guess not a documentary, but it was also a panel. Mm -hmm. discussion with different scientists, Franz Wohlbeider from Zurich, Mm -hmm. who um, I think took a very, very honest, very open, very transparent approach to it, but still um, made sure that we have a certain patient population here that needs um, access to these treatments, and they won't go into the jungle necessarily to do Mm -hmm. ayahuasca treatments, Mm -hmm. but they need it in a way that they're used to so that they can... Talk to their doctor about it. That they don't need to have uh, go go through alternative channels to actually uh, access um, this care. Mm-hmm. And that's literally what we are about, right? So we are, we're we will really be concerned of how, at scale, do we get these treatments out in a way that is reimbursable? Because if you look at um, those treatments that are available right now, um, synthesis, and that's something that we're yeah. I've heard I haven't been like myself, but I've heard a lot of very positive stories from friends that went. Um, it's they are quite expensive. They are certainly too expensive for the most vulnerable groups in our society that often also suffer from mental health, and they can't afford these kind of uh, treatment uh, treatments. And if you look at the un- underground treatments also in the US, it's it's quickly they charge you kind of four digit amounts, um, and and then it's for us really to figure out. Um, how to get it to patients that those treatments are reimbursable so that they can actually afford it.
1: But what I find interesting is if every time I talk, like let's say if I talk to somebody about it, who's like, first of all, I would never do that. And it's like, um, my brain is, looks different. I, I feel different. I would never do something like that. So, but I mean, I feel the, one of the most effective ways to communicate it at this point so far is that, um, to really tell people about, like, um, I mean, you could say it it sounds corny, but, like, healing stories in a way. And, I mean, uh, even if it's anecdotal, it's often people, I mean, like, Lars, for example, um, who are actually, like, the the super cool tech guy, like, serial entrepreneur, obviously nobody who has kind of a problem with partying or anything, like, nothing to do with that. So, but, I mean, um, especially if people like him, for example, or similar Uh people, uh, tell their kind of healing story. This is when people get really mm, kind of at least uh, they they don't think it's kind of totally weird anymore, and they think, well, I mean, if somebody can lose their depression with that or their year long topic that can't be solved in therapy alone, just with therapy, which yes. was totally my case, for example, um then okay, hmm, um, yeah, I just might think about it. So, and I think. Um, this could be like a very powerful tool uh, to have like the least likely people <laughs> to talk about it. I mean, like like you, for example, too. I mean, you're like a super successful what? big company and everything. Nobody would ever think that you went through something like this or that you wouldn't have like, you know, the tools, other tools to just stay away from a profound grief or anxiety thing. And, and I found that super interesting that, um the more people come forward with a very established background. This helps a lot, I feel, for example.
2: Yeah. No no I do I do agree and um and maybe I, I uh, didn't didn't get it across in, in my last uh, statement correctly but I mean,
1: no, I mean destigmatizing those compound compounds more broadly and openness
2: um is does certainly help to talk about this. Um and, and then uh I mean, I myself really reach the limits when talking about it because it's very hard to put it into words. And I think San Harris uh, does a great job. So if anyone is interested in how you can put it into words, he's very eloquent about it. Um, um, so that, that could cer- certainly help. Um, and then you, you mentioned patient stories, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's, that is something uh, very impactful um, because there the focus is also on healing um, so for me, it's important that we don't that we that we focus to get those compounds to patients. And, and in my perspective, that's the ones that needed the most um, and most urgently. Um, and that's why I would emphasize healing stories from patients. Um, and I think uh, Compass did a great job, and they had a video on their website, I think, where they featured some of their patients um, or, or, or uh, healthy volunteers. Um, let's um not that. that's I think a very good way of how to approach it um if you if you basically to your point show and really make it visible how people found healing um again, where I'm cautious is shall we just say, okay, these are great tools, and everyone it, sh- it sh- should be accessible and it can be it can be dangerous to be mm-hmm. uh, to sell it as this panacea um because again. I think that's not what it is. It's it's a great tool, and and I think a tool that deserves attention from psychiatrists. Um, again, in a very regulated environment, um, and that's why we go the way that we decided to go through clinical trials, etc. And
1: tell us a little bit more about um, your adventures in, in Abogaine, Ibogaine adventures in ibogaine. Okay, because. Uh, <laughs> We just, um, I mean, this is something we haven't explored yet and I'm sure there will be other podcasts about this, but I mean, I find it, um, very interesting since I saw this movie, um, well, probably you saw too, that just came out, um, about this woman who had this very hardcore Ibogaine experience, um, dosed, dosed. I don't know if you've okay. seen that. Um, I'll send you the link later. Uh, so, but I mean we basically follow her through her super hardcore heroin addiction and then we follow her through, um, her also super hardcore Ibogaine, 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 how do you pronounce it? Ibogaine treatment. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, um, and I was kind of, I mean, it's like, it was, I mean, it was very interesting to watch, but it's also like, Whoa, what is happening to her right now? Because it's not like, you know, you kind of know, like, a nice psilocybin trip, how that looks now because of goop, but this is like almost like an exorcism you felt when you looked at her. So, um, I mean, and of course, it was actually equaling her heroin addiction in a way, it was equally terrible what she went through, but it totally helped her. So, maybe, um for those who haven't heard about this yet, um, maybe you ca- can explain a little bit what what is this about? This new kind of psychedelic, also right? I mean,
2: right. Um, and it has also been around for for a long time already. So uh, it's, it's it's a new compound that we are researching for um, opioid use disorder, as you put it, having been one of mm-hmm. one of those. Um, substances that people are addicted to, so for addiction more broadly, and opioid use disorders uh, in, in medical term, terms. Um, and we, we partnered with a great um, professor and entrepreneur, Deborah Mash, uh, um, who who is, I would say, close to, uh, I'm just like, thinking about how long Rick Doblin is working on MDMA, but I think he started in 1986, so when I was born. Oh. <laughs> <So> it, <laughs> It seems like she started also around the same time to actually uh, look closer at Ibogaine and the healing potential of, of this plant um, or, or, or the, the substance um, and um, did research on it and also ran clinics um, that actually treated severely addicted patients on this. And they uh, she, she had tremendous success um, to your point. So similar to the story that you just just. So to, really, um, to really treat those withdrawal um, symptoms that people ha- have if they stay off um, their opioids and, and thus enabled um, for a lot of patients a very long-lasting and sustainable, um, sustainable uh, keeping off their, their, their drugs basically in, in a way that you, you, didn't, you, you didn't see or you still don't see with the options that you have available right now. Um, so that was the reason why, based on the data that we saw, uh, we were very intrigued. And that was the reason why, why we uh, decided also to partner uh, with her and um, are working now with her since uh, four months, um, four months-ish, so since the beginning of this year together in this program. Um, again, together, some people of our platform and with, with the existing team of, of Demarex, that's the company that
1: is developing it. Mm-hmm. So this will all be also be like a medication in the end, or like a medical production, like a product that you actually could take for with a therapist to go through this kind of let's say treatment. Right. Yeah, treatment. Okay. Hmm. Right. So also um
2: again to your, to your point, in a supervised mm-hmm. supervised uh session, um I guess in a broader term you could also call it yeah, psychedelic assisted, mm-hmm. um, assisted therapy.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean what what is the what would you say is the outlook for a tie? I mean, um right now it seems that um on so many levels people are in need of new treatments. I mean like not only with psychedelics, but in general. It seems like now I mean, even now, even more than three weeks ago, is a time where um Absolutely new tools and new ideas are needed so what, what is your yeah the, okay, let's say your five or ten year outlook for, for a Thai what what are the goals you would like to achieve
2: so right now as I as, uh, alluded to earlier so our, our focus is re- really on the R&; d part to um, develop solutions for people that n- suffer basically now and don't have really sufficient um, access to effective tre- treatments, um, and then down the road, like if we look at now at 2025, 2030, our goal is really to, in a very holistic way, look at mental health, and not only start when people are already sick, but even start a, a step earlier, and that also in, in, will involve, I mean, political discussions, societal discussions, so um, to go more into into the, the prevention. Um, side of things. So, how to how do you actually prevent people from from um, from yeah becoming mentally ill and then have to be treated with the with the options that we're currently developing? So, I think there's a lot to be done on the prevention part. And then ultimately, we believe in technology um, that can be applied in the prevention, in the therapeutic session itself. So, how to best prepare people um, that's now let's say for a psychedelic assisted psychotherapy session um, and how also how to deliver this um, in a very sustainable and scalable way to patients um, and here we believe that technology will play a very very significant role and that's also a very interesting um, part that we are already looking at into um, so basically meaning how can we Reach a lot of patients um, and use technology to facilitate that. And also, how how can we um, be a uh, a good guide for um, healthy and uh, not not health not mentally healthy people uh, when it comes to um, preventing and also preventing relapse uh, once people have been um, um, healed. Um, if you want. Sure. Okay. Um, so basically. The vision is so where is the tie, let's say, in 2030 in a nutshell. So we really want to be the global mental, uh, mental health or even mental well-being leader that redefines, redefines how we understand and approach prevent and also heal mental health um, disorders. So very holistic, a very, very, um, yeah, very holistic approach to how mental health is understood and um, how mental health is, is being treated. Um, and again, I, I do believe that technology will play a, an essential role um, because it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's key to really reach a lot of people uh, when we want to roll this out. So that's our driving. That's also when, whenever we make decisions, uh, it, it's really the question, how, do, how can we actually get uh, the majority of people reimbursed and how can the majority of people get access to these therapies? So, in their technology will will play a key role, in our uh, opinion, uh, on on various fronts. Um, I think we, we talked earlier about um, yeah scalability of these therapies, um, and I think that's that's a very interesting topic that we we are currently working on. We're also working on this precision medicine uh, approach. So, again. There's interesting data from Stanford that suggests that a certain patient population responds, in this case, based on a certain EEG profile, um, so kind of a brain, um, brain signal, so to say, uh, to a certain treatment. Um, so that's something that we are that we are looking into, again, because we don't think that one therapy will heal everyone equally, but there there's reason to believe that um, we should tailor... The, 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 the treatments to to the patients having I mean, a very patient focused approach um, and then um, we also talking about set and setting so mm-hmm. how how to make sure that the treatments that have the psychedelic component uh, are, are administered in a safe and responsible way at scale meaning um, what can you do uh, to to get it to to more patients to rural to, to patients that live in rural areas that don't have maybe a clinic next door where they can uh, have uh, have all, all, all the care that you would maybe find in cities available. So we're looking at um, yeah technologies that can facilitate um, this this kind of therapy um, in, a, in, in, in a in a very scalable scalable way so ideally if you look to five to ten years it's it's really um, having very holistically, Holistic approach to mental health, meaning preventing um, preventing the onset of, of mental health um, disorders and actually treating those health, mental health disorders in a very uh, responsible, safe way. So that's the safe and setting part, and then also preventing relapse and helping to integrate the experience. In case of a psychedelic experience, that's something that we that we currently work on already, um, and we want to to establish uh, yeah down the road. For, further in a, in a very integrated
1: manner. Mm-hmm. and I mean do, do you feel that I mean sometimes it, at the moment it feels like um, let's say like a millennial generation um, reacts kind of more openly to this than let's say Baby Boomer or Generation X or is this just an impression you get like because media like the new media that's coming out right now is more around the topic it's maybe more done by people in their 30s that just um for them it's not such a big deal anymore to to do this and not because they kind of grow up with um legalized cannabis (laughs) or like anything just that's not such a big drug deal anymore kind of right
2: you you mean psychedelics yeah yeah Mm -hmm. psychedelic therapies Mm um um, I, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes wondering if, uh, despite, um, because I agree, I've also the sentiment that a lot more and more people are talking about it, and now we see it also on Netflix, but I think we're still very much in the bubble. Um, mm-hmm. So it's this uh, West Coast, Silicon
1: Valley, yeah. East yeah.
2: Coast, New York, Berlin, um, <laughs> and we are very much focused on this topic, and uh, I believe sometimes that it's uh, it's very prevalent because we're very much interested in this. So. I think the broader population regardless of age is uh still not very much aware of this and also the healing potential of this and still there's still a lot of education to be done um I do think as I guess rather the younger people access Google uh and Netflix they, they will it, it helps to to educate them or I think there will be a greater openness to it potentially um yeah uh, so yeah but I yeah I think generally uh, the white the, the, the larger population is, is uh, still not yet aware of, of the potential mm-hmm. um, uh, re- regardless of age group.
1: But I mean I feel there's I mean there's this let's say the, like the 30 somethings like the millennials um, who actually have this like we said earlier, this different approach, but there's also like <laughs> um, a lot of so-called grown-ups, that are interested again in psychedelics and like in psychedelics for grownups, if you want to call it that way, because they kind of hit a certain therapy wall in their forties and they oh. don't, or they have like a really big moment in their life that they just can't handle anymore with their usual tools. Um, so, and, and I, I, I get that more and more that people are just um, telling a while, wow, but I would, I would be interested in this experience. I, so, I think it's kind of a um the experiential moment, which is now of course changed at the moment, definitely true because you can't be in a room anymore with a lot of people right now. but I think the experiential part of this is very um strong um to look for new experiences that tell you about yourself that you haven't had in a while, for example. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I agree, but I think it's it's not even limited to to psychedelics. I would say it's yeah, in general maybe it's yeah, experiment, like really experiencing oneself. And uh, mm-hmm. that's also why I guess yoga became such a big mm-hmm. thing. It's, it's really, and I think that that comes back to to also the reasons for for mental health orders, right? I think Lost Connection by Johan Hari. Um, I think that that is a great book that it basically looks at the causes of. Uh, of, of depression, for instance, that are not necessarily rooted in a chemical imbalance in the brain mm-hmm. but but also in um, yeah the, the as the title says in in losing the connection to oneself to other people to, um, um, to kind of the lack of community uh, so I think there are multiple reasons that uh, give people nowadays in this very uh, uh, yeah, not so sort of connected. I mean, hyper connected, but if you really yeah. th- like think about interpersonal connections, not very connected anymore. Um, world, uh, and I think also if you look at churches and religion, um, the fewer people attend these, commu- yeah, these. these uh, I guess a few members of the churches have. The fewer community experiences we have. As potentially, I'm now hyper- hypothesizing, <laughs> but potentially also contributing to to the the, the felt lack of meaning, lack mm. of purpose, lack of connection.
1: And I mean, would you would you share your um, mystical experience with us?
2: <laughs> My mystical uh,
1: experience. <laughs> I'm so curious, um, always. Yeah.
2: Um, Again, um I won't be as eloquent as, as Sam Harris.
1: <laughs> no, but sure. hey, come on, um, it's like they are different versions of this right. too. yeah, absolutely. so I mean, for me, it was um
2: uh, again, in a in a therapeutic session where I took part, um, and for me, the most beautiful experience was that um i, I could I could see how it really benefited my wife. Um, uh, during the experience and then afterwards also when she was integrating the experience in, into, into her life and during that experience again hard to put in words but I felt a very high degree of um, empathy so I could literally see what she was thinking and going through just by being close to her and let's say t- touching her hand I could basically feel the emotional pain that she was um, that she was basically uh yeah um in a therapeutic way uh going through mm-hmm. and you, you you're realizing i'm, I'm hitting a wall with, with no, it's normal it's just
1: doing. but it's just i find it very interesting that everybody has a very very specific and very significant moment though. I mean, even if it's not like, wow, it's like a super crazy thing I've seen. It doesn't have to be that way, but I mean, it's just, yeah, you know, no,
2: and it is, I think so for me, it was also one of the most meaningful experience I've ever had. Um, hundred percent. Um, but this was definitely something that, uh, that was very, very, yeah, uh, very beautiful. Just to actually be able to, to, to make this experience and to see her, also how healing it was, it was enabling her basically to um, also, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say, um, yes, basically to work through this traumatizing experience with her mother. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very great to see that this enabled her, this was the right tool for her to access this, this trauma. And at the same time, for me, um, I mean, it was, uh, so, so it wasn't this one experience, it was kind of multiple
1: um, multiple moments uh, episodes yeah. want, mm-hmm. moments um, mm-hmm. so one was
2: basically where I became very much aware of uh, um, the, the mother's mother-child relationship so where this kind of rebirth experiences with which was very very uh, physical uh, very um, very very felt very real uh, and I think it's also a common theme that people have that Made me kind of realize again this relationship, and literally kind of made me call my my mother and my father, and uh, the next 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 day, and basically uh, book a train ticket and uh, go and visit her, and then share my experience. Uh, luckily, they were <laughs> that's very very open uh, um, to to entertain my my. Um, my, my thoughts around this.
1: But I mean, I find parents are surprisingly open to this. I mean, I bought my mom this Michael Pollan book. Yeah. And I mean, she was like, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it makes total sense to me. It's interesting that that generation is not kind of, oh my God, this is so weird, leave me alone. They, they kind of, I mean, I think they get if it why it does something to you and um, way more sometimes than much younger people, I feel. In a way, so I found that kind of interesting. Yeah, that's
2: to, an interesting thought. Yeah. I don't know, but maybe. Why, but maybe, yeah. But I don't maybe. know, because also they, I don't know, partly at least experienced it, um, <laughs> <laughs> or the, based on their parents' experience, and we're more open about it. Yeah.
1: Mm. Thank you so much for doing this and, and talking about the tie in such an elaborate way. And it was really a pleasure to have you on the podcast.
2: Thank you, and uh, it was a pleasure also for me. Um, and um, yeah, thanks for, again, helping to de st- stigmatized psychedelics now <laughs> and help to spread the word of the, the healing potential of, of those, those uh, compounds.
1: Yeah, thank you.